Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. We are going to pick up with the second book of the Cupidity series called Bonds of Cupidity. It's by Raven Kennedy. This book, and therefore the podcast, um, features sex, so we will be discussing that. Uh, So be warned. Uh, This week, I am starting with our characters, and Marissa will pick up with her plot. So a little bit of a refresher. And Mel, she is our main female lead. She is a Cupid, and she's got pink hair. In the last book, she was forced out of the veil by Prince Elfar and landed up on an island with some sexy genfins who had been exiled there. We learned that the Genfins act as her anchor to the world, and when she's apart from them, she starts to go invisible, and if she's apart from them for too long or too far, she ends up back in the veil. As for the Genfins, we have Ronak. He's the broody one. He's the alpha of the group. He made some mistakes in the past. He wanted to take a Genfin mate, but ignored his cubby's warning about her, and this resulted in their exile. Silret, he's the nice one. He tries to keep the peace between his covey as there's a lot of tension over the exile. Everett, he's the fun one. He holds quite a grudge against Ronak um, and has actually insinuated several times that they should break up the covey. We have Okot. He's a new character and he's a new love interest. He's a Lamasu, Lamasu, which is basically a flying bull shifter. He is a bodyguard for Princess Sora and has been assigned to help Emel. Princess Sora, she is married to Prince Elfar, and while she plays the role of dutiful wife and princess, there's much more than meets the eye. And then we have Prince Elfar. He is the worst. He constantly cheats on Princess Sora. He is also incredibly cruel, and he has it out for Emel and her genfins. Marissa, would you like to pick up our plot? I would love to. Okay. Our book opens shortly after where the last one left off. So the Jinfins have been taken from the Banishment Island to the Kingdom Island, where they were being kept prisoner uh, in towers until the culling trials begin. In the culling trials, the Jinfins and other prisoners will have to fight for their lives to prove that they are worthy of living and have atoned enough for however they slighted Prince Alfar in the past. Emel has followed them back to the Kingdom Island, but being so distant from them causes her abdominal pains and she's worried about disappearing again. She does a really bad job of blending in on the island because she doesn't look high fay. She runs into Princess Sora outside of a market stall, and Sora states that she remembers Emel from when she attacked the prince. Sora discreetly makes arrangements to meet with Emel that night, and when they do meet, Sora explains that she would like Emel's help. She is part of a rebellion movement against Prince Elfar and would like Emel to use her powers of invisibility to spy on the prince as she believes he is crafting a weapon that could give him an advantage over the rebels. Emel explains that she doesn't have the ability to become invisible volitionally, but she will help in whatever way she can. Sora offers to let her work with her handmaiden, Duru, who is a brownie, until they can get things figured out. First, they must make Emel look more high fey. So they dye her skin and hair a fuchsia color and give her heels to make her taller. Emel sets to work with Duru the next day. Things go okay for about three days, but then Emel wakes up and one of her hands has disappeared. She has been away from her anchors for too long. So she manipulates an earth sprite into taking her to the prison tower where the Jinfins are held, but she's unable to get past the guards. And so the next day, her whole arm has disappeared. And so she's given no choice but to relay this to Duru, who has her stay in her room. And shortly after, Okot, who's a Lamasu or a winged bullshifter, appears. 
Okat is one of Princess Sora's personal guards. And as soon as he gets a smell of Amel, he realizes that she is his mate. Amel resists the idea for about two seconds, but then she's super on board with it. Dewey returns to Amel's room with a plan. The start date for the culling trials has been moved up, so she will escort Amel and Okot to the island where they're being held, and Amel will pretend to be a lesser fae noble. They have to time it just right, though, because the prisoners are traveling to the island by a portal, and Amel fears that if they don't portal at the same time, the distance will cause her to disappear. She makes it safely to the island, and Okot is able to bribe a guard to let Amel see the Jinfins. They've been deprived of food and are dirty, but are glad to see her. However, they are very suspicious of Okot and are not happy that she is now claiming that he is her mate. Everett is basically pissed because they've only been gone a week and she's already got another mate. And so Everett wants to be with her. But it seems that the rest of the covey is not totally on board yet, and Amel refuses to split the covey up. Um, they still don't know that they're what's anchoring her to their world, and she chooses not to tell them. She manages to touch them all, and her arm becomes corporeal again. And then the, the culling trials begin the next day, and they are brutal. But the Jinfins survive the first round. Two days later, there's round two, and it's even worse, but the Jinfins survive that one too, a little worse for wear this time. That night, there's a feast, and Amel and Okot are required to attend. Subtlety isn't really something that Amel is capable of, though, and so when the remaining survivors of the trials are brought into the ballroom in a cage where everyone is eating to be mocked and starved, Amel can't take it. She brings the attention of everyone to herself when she takes food and wine to the cage. Shortly after, Prince Elfar's assistant escorts her to the prince, who starts politely interrogating her before reprimanding her for giving the prisoners food that isn't hers to give. She begs forgiveness and starts crying, and he says it's okay, and she's able to, turn, to return to Okot. The next day is the last day of the trials, and before they start, the prince's assistant finds them in the crowd and escorts them to the prince's personal box. And Mel is freaking out. And then she's separated from Okot under the guise of him wanting to, of the prince wanting to chat with her. Um, but the prince reveals that he knows who she is. He remembers her from the day that she became visible, and he is pissed. He believes that she's part of the rebellion movement and knows she's at the trials for someone, but Amel refuses to tell him who she's there for. Monsters attack the remaining prisoners, and Elfar reveals that he has no intention of anyone to survive. Amel is panicked. Okot has disappeared, and before the trial is over, Elfar has Amel escorted to prison cells below the arena where she is questioned and beaten by Elfar's guards and assistant. They leave her in a cell, but suddenly she disappears into the veil again, which she thinks means that her Jenfins have died. She is distraught. But with her body incorporeal, she is able to escape and she makes her way to the Kingdom Island again, where a feast is taking place. She discovers at the feast that her Jenfins have survived. She's relieved, but still without a body. Ronak, Evert, and Silred realize that something must be wrong because she has not found them yet. And Amel uses her Cupid powers to communicate with them. Princess Sora runs into the Jinfins as she's leaving the feast and arranges to meet with them in a garden. And she reveals that she was working with Amel as part of the rebellion movement and gives them the opportunity to steal one of her necklaces so that they can meet with the horned hook who is a fey creature that's capable of basically getting his hands on anything and who may be able to help bring Amel back into her body. And so that's what they do. But when they meet with the horned hook, Silred also makes a deal with him to help find Okot, who is still missing. The horned hook comes through for Okot first, and the covey rescues him from an underground prison. And then the horned 
Horned Hook directs them to an island where they find Faye that bring Emil back into her body from the veil. She is still injured from being beaten by the prince's guards, and everyone is pissed. Everett does what he can to heal her. Silred and Ronak return to the island to make arrangements for them to go back to their home on Jinfen Island, and Okot disappears only to return hours later with the hand of the guard who beat Emil. So sweet. That night, they return to the Kingdom Island, and Amel completes the mate bond with Okot. He declares that he must return to Princess Sora and apprise her of the situation. Amel is not thrilled, but she understands. And then later that night, Duru arrives at the end that they're staying at to inform them that the prince is planning to search every inn and cut off portal travel, so they need to get out of town now. They leave, return to Jinfen Island, and pretty much immediately the Jinfins start preparing their home for a heat cycle because it's time to claim Emel as their mate. A week passes and everything is going great. And Ronak sprouts red feathered wings like Emel. But since we can't have nice things, soldiers dressed in Princess Sora's colors arrive to imprison Emel and her mates. What's a Cupid to do? Have they been betrayed by Sora? Where's Okot? Spoilers abound. So, how did you feel about your second read of this book? You know, I forgot, like, a lot of the stuff that happened. So, it was nice to read in another, like, I had, like, the broad strokes of what was going to happen, but I forgot a lot of things. So it was really nice. I enjoyed it. I think just as much this time as I did the last time, especially because I was not sure of everything. It was good. What'd you think? Yeah. Um, well, it was my third read, so I remembered a decent amount, but I still loved it. <laughs> so it's a great um, book. It's actually, I think, I think the third is my favorite. So I'm really looking forward to that. But this one's good too. We had, you know, introductions to some more characters. We got mm -hmm. some more development, um, especially with what's going on with the princess. We have some interesting look into that. There's finally some spice happening, mm -hmm. which was great. So. Yeah. Um, what's nice about this one, and it's like this a lot of times when you have a sequel in a book, is that a lot of the groundwork gets laid in the first book like the setup for the world and the characters and all of that stuff. And so the second book is typically where you see a lot of action, a lot of things start moving because the groundwork has already been laid down. And I think that's what you see here too. We know who our characters are. We know kind of the political situation in this book. And so with all of that, it just sets it up for lots of action. And that's what we have in this book. There's a lot, there's a lot that takes place. Mm-hmm which is nice. It feels like we're going forward or something. Um, I like that the book immediately starts with Emil doing a terrible job blending in. She just is the least capable, the least equipped being there is to blend in in any situation. Oh, Especially this world. She, yeah, bless her heart, truly. <laughs> she doesn't look like a fae. She's not dressed like them. She has uh, no self-preservation instincts. And she can't shut her mouth. Like, it's a good thing she ends up having four males at the end of this story. Because I don't think that a single person could actually keep her alive. I sure don't think she could keep herself alive as a physical body. But she definitely needs at least two handlers. Oh, yeah. If Ogot <laughs> hadn't shown up, like, she would have died. That, that would have been, yeah. Dead. Straight to jail. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, her goofiness, her silly spirit, I love it. It's endearing. And the word vomit is hysterical. But she's a mess. I mean, I wouldn't want to be friends with her. You're pretty much putting a target on your back. Yeah. Along with that, like... She does stupid things to draw attention to herself anyway. Like when they're having that feast and she goes and brings food to the, like all the um, people who are in the culling yeah. trials. And I was yeah. like, why? You stupid girl. Why are you doing this? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Yeah. She just does not, there's not a lot of forethought. No. Not a whole lot of planning. Maybe her frontal lobe is not fully developed. Yeah. 
I mean, yet. she's been on this earth for like, or this world for how long now? Well, she's Probably. been, yeah, it's been a couple, she's been incorporeal for 50 something years. So you would think she would have learned something about, I mean, I know these are not humans, but interactions between beings you would think she would have some self-preservation instincts but no she don't care she just she just gets up and waltzes across a ballroom to feed prisoners drawing the like literally the entire room is quiet watching her do this yeah oh gosh i don't i don't know what her deal is she just does well. not plan well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same with coming to this island. She turns up mm-hmm. in, you know, her furry crop top. And everybody else is wearing, like, silks. And she's walking <laughs> through town. And everybody is spurning her and asking her what she is because she doesn't look like any of them. It's like, um, the first thing you should have done was get clothes, probably. <laughs> um. Well, she didn't have anyone to guide her. Or hide. Or hide. Some, anything, not just walk but, through. Not just walk through town. So Princess Sora runs into her and is like, oh, I'm going to use you because you can turn a vi- invisible. And Amel is immediately like, um, about that. <laughs> would you? So if someone was like, I'm going to help you because you can help me, would you immediately be like, actually, no, I can't do that? Or would you just lie and be like, oh, yeah, no problem. I can do that if it meant like you possibly dying or not. I mean, if my life was on the line, I'd definitely lie. I would lie. Yeah, I can do that. Again, mm-hmm. the self-preservation instinct. Um, but Princess Sora still, still chooses to help her. So through Princess Sora and Duru, uh, what's their name? Amel meets her mate, one of them. Okot. Okot. The Lamasu, which I'd never heard of before. Winged bull shifter. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't like him? Okay. It's not that I don't like him. I just like the others a lot more and could have done without him. Sort of. Okay. Like, he's just kind of there. I don't know. It was weird. So we go from like one book where, you know, we spend all this time on the development of their relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, we have an insta love thing going like mate again, which, you know, still like, but it's a weird sort of transition going from like this buildup of a relationship to just being like, we're in love. Also, she used a lot of bull descriptors, which makes sense. But because it's a fantasy book and I was reading mm-hmm. it, I pictured him as a bull man. <laughs> So like as a minotaur yeah. sort of. So that's how I picture him. I don't picture him as like a shapeshifter, like who kind of has a human form. I picture bull man. Bull man. Minotaur. <laughs> yeah, I could see that too. I definitely had to modify how I pictured him or I would have gone straight to that as well. Mm-hmm. So if they don't have wings. Um, and I, I see what you're saying with, I mean, that is the bulk of the first book is her relationship with the Jinfins versus with this one. It's like Okad is introduced. They smell each other and they're mates. Mm-hmm. And we learn a little bit maybe more about Okot, but his, I would say overall his character's just not developed very much, which I think is part of what makes him and his attachment to ML a little bit less solid feeling Mm. yeah i mean we know that he's princess sura's mate we learn not mate guard we learn a little bit about lamasus like they're very protective they require the sun for energy um they're loyal but we learn so much about the jenfins in the first book like there's just just their culture and things like that and we learn about our Jinfin characters, Ronak, Silverad, and Everett, and then we don't really get we don't really get that development in this book. And there's not, I mean, there's not 
a whole lot of space for that development to have had a, to have occurred in this story. I suppose they could have, she could have, you know, spent some time trying to learn more about him, like between calling trials or things like that, but they just don't. All of the action in this book takes place over the period of like a week or so. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the last book, it took place over several weeks. Yeah. So I just, I don't care for Ocot. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I liked him. I I see what your points are. I liked his character. Um, I like that he is just very dedicated to supporting ML and he certainly helps manage her and keep her alive while the Jinfins are in prison. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think he is, he seems very dedicated to keeping her happy. I mean, she tells him like, you have to laugh at my jokes and he's like, okay, I'm going to do it. Like, he's just, it's almost like a silverhead who's very sweet, but he, I don't know his, his dedication feels different to me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because later on in the book, when she hiccups herself invisible, that is this book, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so later on, she hiccups herself invisible. And like the other, the Genfins are just like, ah, whatever, laughing at her, you know, and like, he's the one who's concerned. Mm-hmm. And she goes into this whole thing. She's like, Silverage, you're supposed to be the nice one, but you're just sitting there like laughing at me. Yeah. Um, so he is, he ended up becoming the, the sweetest one. And he is, and I get it. He is sweet. It's just, I could, I could kind of take him or leave him um for this yeah I can't remember everything that happens in the book hopefully his character develops a little bit more um I guess we'll see around that much I'm trying to remember the third book I just feel like I don't remember him being around as much as the others too yeah Yeah. it was very Uh, nice of him to present her a hand I love that that's a Mm -hmm. sweet gesture I mean, I want someone not, I wouldn't actually want this in real life. I would be horrified if someone cut off my enemy's hand, but in this book, how sweet is that? And she appreciates it too. She's so grateful. I mean, I don't know. There's just something about that. Like I'll murder the people who've hurt you Mm -hmm. type of vibe that really gets me excited when I read about it. Yes. And we do see that a lot. Like I'll murder anyone who hurts you, but they very, they don't often actually do it yeah and we actually see a character following through here well i don't know if he killed the guy but he definitely cut off his hand did he mention if he killed him uh i don't know well at the very least he took a hand he took a hand so i don't think it says that he killed him i wonder if that's implied i mean if you're gonna take a hand why wouldn't you just kill the whole guy Mm. just they can live with his consequences I mean, I guess, but they're magic. He could probably glamour himself an extra hand or something. Mm, like in The Witcher. Yeah, like Stregobor. Mm-hmm. He lost like his hand. Stregobor. Yeah. Hate him and his scary eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, it's really thoughtful. I, yeah, I like Okot. I think he's cute, but I see what you're saying. I love, so in this book, we finally get some spice. Um, Oka ends up being the first person. So he has to like solidify his mating bond with her. And so he ends up being the first person that she has sex with. Mm-hmm. And it's hysterical. It's so funny. It is great. You know, we read, uh, I read a, we read a lot of books with characters who have sex. And then there is not there is not a single romance novel that I have read where the male character has just like a regular average size penis. They're always <laughs> like the size of a baseball bat or something. You can never wrap your hand all the way around oh, it. Your fingertips never touch. It's always surprisingly long. Um, sometimes they grow even longer. You have a, a telescoping penis. Like there, there's never average size penises. And the female characters are always like, oh, gosh, I'm a little bit worried, but they go for it anyway. And Emil and this one is like, "Mm, nope, I take it back. We can't do this. I'm not. It's not going to happen. And it's just I don't think that I've seen or read a book before where the female had this response to 
the overly large male penis. I it was great. It was a great reaction. Uh, so funny story how I even found this book. So um, somebody had posted that scene as like a screenshot in one of the many, many books gr groups I'm in. And I was like, I need to know what book that is because that's hysterical. And that is how I came across the series. Oh, that's so funny. Mm -hmm. Look at that. Dicks are bringing you together with books. Love it. <laughs> Love it. He also has dick piercings too. Um, and she's like, um, he, but she says, you are clearly a terrible judge of pain. If you manage to get both your nose and your penis pierced and someone without a proper pain gauge probably shouldn't be spearing into my feminine hollows. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love the trepidation because I feel like this is a normal reaction to gigantic penis. Yes. <laughs> it ends up working out okay he doesn't rip her in half but <laughs> thankfully that would be uh, awkward yes yes he's very like he i feel like when they do actually have sex it's nice too because he doesn't just like i want to say it's like slow he doesn't just mm -hmm. like shove his penis into her body it's not like aggressive penetration mm -hmm. I don't, I don't yes. like the, and it's like he brings her to like a flower, like he's wildflowers are everywhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He brings her to a really sweet location. See, he's so sweet. He's, he just, is, he sets I, the mood. Like he he's, he's thoughtful. Yes. He's very sweet. And he's the one that will always go along with like whatever you say, mm -hmm. which is, which is great. Mm -hmm. He's, I'm just kind of torn about him because because compared to the others, I I just I prefer the Jenkins more, but he's so sweet. It's not a competition, Vicky. That's why I couldn't be in a harem. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have a harem. You would ship like favoritism. Oh yeah, I would totally end up with favorite. Their first interaction, Okot and what's her name, ML. It's hysterical. So he like walks into her room, sniffs the air and it's like, oh, you're my mate. Mm -hmm. How nice would it be if it was that easy to just identify the person that you're supposed to be with? You just like, oh, it's you. Let's 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 move in together. That would How be convenient. very useful. Yes, it would be so useful. The descriptor did the the. the the descriptors that are used for describing his scent to her are really sweet too. She says that he smells um, like sunshine, uh, spicy, but warm. It's just all these very like sunshine on trees or fire in the winter time. Like it's just the imagery that's crafted from that is really nice. Um, I love smell. I think is well, we, we, I don't know if we've actually talked about this, but there's so much that goes into smell and the memories that you connect and the feelings that you connect with them. You think about like, um, let's see the smells that you would associate with like kindergarten, like, um, chalkboard and yeah, like rubber erasers and things like that. Um, just smell is very strongly connected to memory. And so I like that this is the thing that they help to identify their mates with is their smell. Also, how bizarre must it be for people who don't have any idea what's going on? It's just this couple smelling each other, sniffing, just <laughs> aggressively <laughs> smelling. <laughs> At one point, the brownie does say, stop that. It's indecent. <laughs> So one of my favorite scenes in this book, um, Okot takes her to see the Genvins when they are in, well, they're not in prison, in the dungeon, I get wherever, they're just be, the, being held for the calling trials, right? I guess it's prison, mm -hmm. right? And interaction between all the characters is, for the most part, very entertaining. Um, so they meet Okot and Everett is displeased by this he's like you can't have a mate and she's yeah. like 
while he's right here. And poor Everett is just so worried, like, about, you know, her leaving them, I guess, because mm-hmm. he wants to be with her. And then stupid Ronak, when she asks, says, like, are you still planning to take a Gen Finn mate? And Ronak says, yes. Ugh. But Everett's reaction. And then when we find out what Silverid's reaction actually was in his point of view, I was like, Silverid, why don't you speak up more? Uh, where is Silverid's chapter? It's not in this book. It's not? It's oh. not in my book. Oh, okay. So it's in there. Um, so there were two, I think in the second book, there were two chapters from two different characters' points of view. Mm. One from, okay. Well, one of them was definitely Silverhead because Silverhead, it like starts off where he's Ronak. He's, so he's talking about how Ronak is like sharing his bread with Everett and Everett's like really annoyed about it. And they're all just kind of like sleeping and they're angry. And then they're talking about ML and wondering if she's okay. And then this whole interaction happens. And you remember at some point, ML says, oh, Silver had like mumbled something, but she couldn't hear what it was. And you find out in his chapter, from his point of view, um, he said, like, that's not true in response to Ronak saying, yes, we're still planning on taking a Gen Finn mate. But you're right. I mean, Silverage just because he tries to keep the peace so much, I can see why he would keep that kind of quiet that response that seems very on brand for that character but it's frustrating because he has just as much right to be happy as the other Jinfins too mm-hmm. and if being with Mel would make him happy and Everett obviously wants it like that's a majority yeah. that scene is hysterical too because there Everett is just very unhappy that she has a mate and um she gets like she stands up for herself to him so she says so you all can get a mate but i can't that's not how this works you selfish ass you should be happy for me he wants me mm-hmm. i love it i love that i do too i mean she I know she's silly, but she's going into this situation being pretty honest about, well, not, eh, not actually super honest. She is going into this, this situation without really expectations from them. She doesn't expect them to want to be with her. Like she says, okay, I know that you need a gin fin mate. I understand that this is what's required for your um, covey to be successful and that I recognize that that will probably also mean that I will stop existing, but I'm going to be happy now with the people who want me. Mm -hmm. I love that for her. Yes. I do too. And she wants somebody to love so badly. Well, yeah. She wants somebody to love her. And so why would she then want to be with like people who can't, be sure of it or won't stand up for her sort of yes although yeah. Everett is very much just like I want you yes but he wants to split up the covey to make it happen and she, she doesn't, doesn't want to do that to them which well, I don't really think is her place to decide but okay <laughs> um, well I mean I can understand she doesn't want to be the one that like tears them apart Right. But that's not really the decision that she, it's not her place to make that decision. It's theirs. They're grown Jinfin males. They can govern themselves. It's not her place to decide whether or not she's splitting them up. She's not doing it. It's them choosing to do it. That's true. She's picking up guilt. That's not hers to carry. Basically. This feels like therapy right now. (laughs) (laughs) My therapist says, don't pick up things on the table that are not for you. Just because it's on the table doesn't mean you have to pick it up. And that's what she's doing. She's picking up this guilt that's not hers to carry. I think it's hysterical in this scene whenever it gets frustrated with her for disagreeing with him. Mm -hmm. says, take over, Syl. I can't talk to her when she does the thing where she disagrees with me. Yes. It's so funny because (laughs) 
this happens again later in the book when she's like squirmy and she can't sleep and he's like she's sleeping with Everett in that scene and she like tosses he tosses her over to Ronak and he's like I can't do this you someone else is gonna have to take her like she is a handful like I said it's a good thing there are four other males or three other males in addition to Everett because Lord the benefits of polyamory I can't take her anymore someone else needs to do this <laughs> So um, she gets to watch the trials, which is super stressful for her. So the first trial, the contestants end up, it has to do with sacrifice. And it's so, I hate it. It's so sad to me. So there's the four elements. The first one, the, it's like they have to get through angry earth and then wind. All right, then wind and fire. Yeah, and water. And so the fire is the last one. And it's aggressive fire. So someone gets up close to it and it like incinerates them. And then one of the sprites tries to fly over it and it like reaches up and snatches it out of the air and burns it. And it's at that point that that sprite's mate begins just to wail in agony and pain because its mate is dead and so it chooses just to walk into the fire Mm -hmm. and die and that's when the trial ends the the fire opens up and the the contestants can walk through it um but the it it wasn't really about um it wasn't really about like even just trying to make it through the trial it was about um self-sacrifice like you said making the people realize that they are subject to the whims of the prince. And if he chooses for you to live, then you'll live. And if he chooses for you to die, then you'll die. Gosh, I hate him. He's such a jerk. He really is. Elfar, he's the worst. Have we decided he's a psychopath at this point? Yes, a psychopath who's also a sex addict. Yeah. Multiple issues going on there. Narcissist. Yeah, narcissist. He's just the worst. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hate him. Yeah. Well, and then he makes them in a, one of the other trials. He's mad that they worked together. Mm-hmm. Right? So he gives them all like special swords that force them to fight against each other. Yeah. <laughs> and then poor Ronak, you know, his beast comes to the surface and he just kills it everybody on the opposing team mm-hmm. and then that night is the night of the dinner which is a shit show yes she so herself. oh my gosh that was <sighs> you have to pick your moments and this was not the moment to pick nope oh gosh and the attention is on her yeah it's 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 very not good. Um, my note in my Kindle was put a target on your back. Why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> the sass, Marissa. <laughs> oh gosh, I just I was so frustrated with her in that moment. Like I know she's meant to be ditzy and um, kind of silly, but my gosh, my gosh, and and so she gets called up to Elfire's table, and he basically interrogates her and Delsheen is present oh. and so Delsheen is the Jinfin who is responsible basically I mean it's not her fault that Ronak chose to pick a fight because he should be in charge of his actions but um, she is the one who cheated on the Jinfin Covey Ronak Everett and Silverin with the prince and she is on the dais with the prince again, being all flirty and terrible and hateful to the Jinfins who are in prison and have been banished because of her choices and Ronak's inability to, to control himself. And I just hate her so much. But she has this really, so Emel is instantly defensive of her Jinfins. And Delsheen is being super ugly to her because she talks about, like, she, um, the prince 
asks Amel about her heritage and see, she says that she's half a half human and uh, Delsheen is snipey and hateful. And Amel says, at least I don't have wings that look like hairy flapjacks, which is perhaps the best insult. <laughs> I'm very, I feel very weird about the idea of hairy wings. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've had like feathered wings. We've had books where the wings were like bat wings. I think this is the first time I've run into a character with wings covered in hair, and I don't know how to feel about it. See, it's the first I've read of it in a book, but I swear I don't know what show this was on, what it was. It's a, it was like um, a puppet, right? Like Sesame Street kind of puppet thing. Yeah. Like, and it had it was evil, I think, and it had like furry wings, and it was furry and looked like a mess, and I just I can't. And I, it made like a annoying yipping sound. Sort of. I, that's what I pictured though. Like fuzzy, hmm. like um, fuzzy wings. When I imagine wings, like I really struggle. It doesn't seem like they'd be aerodynamic. I don't know. That's true. It wouldn't be good for So Delsheen's awful. Yes. She is. Yeah. She makes a comment later. That makes me wonder if she's not as awful as we think, but she's awful. But anyway, she does mention, so when the Genfins finally win and they have their, you know, feast or whatever, she comes up to them and they bring up how she cheated and she says, well, it was the prince. How was I, like, I couldn't say no, right? And that gave me a second of like, you know, like she's got a point and the prince is known for just like, taking women but yeah their actions are still really nasty i mean you're right the prince did proposition her and she probably could not easily say no um but the way that she waltzes up to them like no time has passed yes like they weren't banished for five years Mm -hmm. like the way that she's super snotty and she says, come now, you can't be mad. That little incident was ages ago and now everything is over and done with. Your little outburst has been paid for and everything is set for us to move forward with our mating ceremony. Insane. Little outburst. Like, mm, no. Mm, no. Yeah. No. Silred says, Delsheen, you can't be serious. That little, that wasn't a little incident. We were banished for five years. <laughs> yeah. That's a good scene, too, because Ronak's animal, like, rejects her. Oh, yeah. Her he goes, like, beast mode on her and is like, ah, don't touch my <laughs> tail. They're very particular about their tails. I wish that we had more information about them. <laughs> right? I still want more info about the tails. Yes. Tell me more about the tails. I love them. Something about a tail just gets me very excited. Well, I this is one of my notes, but when um, they want to see whether or not Ronax animal, I guess, um, accepts ML, right? She has mm-hmm. him come forward. And they're like, oh, this doesn't seem to be going well. But then all of a sudden, like, his tail wraps around her and pulls her back to him. I was like, I bet Marissa loved this. (laughs) I did. Well, and that happens in the bonus scene, too. Um, It also talks about, like, he he uses his tail to slap her clitoris or to, like, flick at her clitoris, which is, I don't know how to feel about that. Um, But, yeah, it talks about his tail when he's in like beast mode wrapping around her leg too, um, which is a declaration from his animal that she has been claimed for their covey. Um, I loved it. I love every part of a tail scene. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm this way, but tails get me very excited. So I liked that. I always, I love that. I don't know why. Um, that happened. So that, that particular thing that I was talking about happens in the chapter from Ronak's point of view too, which is great. I wish that we had more chapters from 
the male points of view. I need to. I just really enjoy chapters like that. But in this chapter, and I love it because at this point, we've gotten lots of group sex and it has been delightful. But he says that he slams his dick into her. Like he has woken her up. This is the first penetration. Then I slam my dick. And it's like, mm, nope. And one harsh thrust. Mm, nope. That's, I instantly, like my whole body clenched up. I texted you about it. I'm like, mm, nope. This only works in books. You <laughs> cannot on first penetration slam a dick in in real life. Emil is confronted by the prince. He gets his people to beat the crap out of her, and she ends up back in the veil when the Jinfins are transported through the portal back to the island kingdom. Mm -hmm. And she turns up back at the island kingdom to the feast and chinfins are alive everything's all good she still doesn't have a body though i so this is her being clever i love that she uses her cupid powers to let them know that she's present yes it's also hysterical it is because she gives them all <laughs> erections <laughs> Yes, and not even just like I don't want to say like mild erections, but like you know, like but raging um, hard on yes, raging hard on. <laughs> um, yes, so it's a flirt kiss or a flirt touch for no, and it's a lust kiss or whatever for breath. a yes, lust breath. There you go for a yes, and Silred, not Silred, uh, Everett be, seems to be her primary target with things like this it's just it's i mean it's funny it's mm -hmm. a funny scene i love when um so they go out into the hall mm -hmm. to talk to her or you know like communicate with her and um everett goes i'm gonna need a minute like just leave me out here and silver comes up with like a list of weird things like your mother or all this stuff. my mother like, your I'm mother yeah prince alpha <laughs> Yes, to try to help him. Mm -hmm. What a good friend. <laughs> he is a good friend. I would be his friend. Mm -hmm. They negotiate with the horned hook, who, who, um, so talking about Silver being great, Silver be, ends up being the one who makes the arrangement with the horned hook to find Ocot as well. So they, they barter with him to help or to get. ML back into corporeal form. But Silred, being super sweet and thoughtful, um, makes arrangements with him to also find Ocot because he knows that's what ML would want. And I just love that because he's adorable. Yes. It cracks me up when so because the princess gives them the hint of like the horned hook, right? And how you mm -hmm. have to take something of great value. And and she mentions, oh, I get so like hot or whatever. I leave my window open, like wink, wink. And Everett just does not get it. No. Um, her comment in that scene is so, not her comment, but um, not the princess, but Emel's comment in that scene. I think it's that scene is so funny because she's like, it's okay. You don't have to be smart. You're pretty. <laughs> Emel gets brought back into her body by plick and plack. The yes twins who are conjoined at the butt oh my god it's just Why? it seems hysterical and weird i know it's raven kennedy is just hilarious yes um but so she gets brought back to her body and everyone is instantly pissed because she still looks i mean she's still She's still bruised and beaten and they broke her wing. She's still in the shape that she was in when she got sent into the veil, all beaten up courtesy of Elfar's guards and everyone's pissed. Yes. I, know. I think she mentions that she's like, why did everyone look furious at me? Yeah. We get that. Who hurt you? Energy mm -hmm. again. And I'm so Love that of. energy. Yes. Yeah. Here for it. Yes. So that's really really a um well i don't know i just love that energy for weird reasons i can't i don't even know why but here we are 
Um, and so everyone leaves to make arrangements and Everett heals her. And then he um, ends up getting to be the first, not her first, like, it's her first orgasm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Lord have mercy. Everett's dirty talking was so hot. Yeah, it was a good scene. It was so good. It was so good. I want you to watch me touch you. Woo! Okay. <laughs> okay. And I just at the end of it, and he says, I he says something like, I want you to remember that like I was your first, like first kiss and first this or something. Mm-hmm. Even though he may not be like her first penetrative sexual partner. Mm-hmm. He really took that challenge to heart. So they return to Jenkin Island and it's actually they walk they have to walk, right? And she yeah. hates it. It's great. I mean, if you had I would, I would hate it too. If you had just a group of mates who are all strapping strong betailed fellas would you walk anywhere or would you piggyback it the whole time i i piggyback it as much as possible whenever we're going on long excursions (laughs) (laughs) so they get there and they're faced with judgment of course being like oh they're gonna mate a non-genfin female gasp scandal gross um but they do it <laughs> well they have doesn't bellerin do it for them bellerin does it yeah mm-hmm. does he yeah i don't know somebody yeah. marries them anyway well, so he up there he does show up i just I, I don't know if he does the ceremony or right? i can't remember if he does the ceremony or not um but anyway they get they get mated and immediate so this ml is just like having a conversation with belverin who is the horned hook and is like um yeah this is life and she looks over and the jinfins are tearing the house apart piling all the cushions on the ground throwing blankets on top of everything building a fort and she's like, what is happening right now? And Valorant's like, oh, they're building you a nest for your heat cycle. Excuse me? I feel I, like this is a conversation I, that needed to happen first. Yes, I do feel like they did not pro- properly prepare her for yeah. what was going to happen. Also, I pictured like a, a giant pillow fort. Same. Yep. Yep. What I picture. Same. Um, I this. mean, okay. I guess you could have sex on a bunch of pillows. Although, if you have a perfectly good bed. Yeah, she even mentions that they have a gigantic bed. But all right, pillows it is. Okay. Pillows and blankets and curtains. <laughs> yeah. I don't, it. it must be a cat thing. I don't know. Maybe they're like kneading the blanket, <laughs> you know. It wasn't part of it have to like it has to it's gross, but, like trap their smell or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. But okay. In a pillow for it, I guess. Yes. Than in a bed. Apparently. I <laughs> I don't know. I believe they're building a heat burrow. Okay. <laughs> I love this scene. It's just so quirky and funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So a week of just nonstop group sex. Mm-hmm. Yep. And snacks. Because mm-hmm. you need sounds snacks. Good. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a delight. It does. It'd be nice not to have to worry about work or anything. You just get to have group sex and snacks all day. Yeah. All day. Every day for seven days. <laughs> I do like, and this is hysterical. So later in Ronak's um, chapter, in the bonus chapter, he is he is having intercourse with her, but she is having oral sex with Everett, and she's manually stimulating Silred. And then 
in the course of all of the sex, she does like a lust breath straight onto Everett's penis. And he just like orgasm <laughs> just explodes. And then she does this thing. It's so red. Like what a hysteria. I, I just, I read that and laughed out loud. How funny would that be? Just, just blow. I mean, it, it puts blow job in a different perspective. It does. I think if anything, it gives it a more accurate, it's more accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so after the mating, then Ronak gets his wings. Yeah. And they're pretty wings. He gets pretty red feathered wings, not weird, hairy flapjack wings. (laughs) I'm trying to picture right? When you p- picture that and you had like these pretty red wings and he's got a tail and like in my head, he's just kind of like very feline looking, right? Because of how he's been described and stuff, uh-huh. like, kind of like a lion or something. Yeah. Flying around. <laughs> Ronak gets his wings and Amel is like very smug about them because she thinks that he is going to have such a hard time learning how to fly with these wings. He masters it in 20 minutes and she gets shut down and it's so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's so pissed off, but he's like, we naturally are have wings. We train from our youths to be prepared to have wings. Yeah. And I think their bodies are more meant for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Just yeah. in general. He says that the feathered wings are heavier than the meat or not meat than the <laughs> hairy wings. The meat wings. The meat wings. The hairy wings. <laughs> Yes, they're heavier than the hairy wings. But, um, that makes sense. Her wings start to change colors. So when she hiccups herself into the veil and hiccups herself back, she gets a black feather. And then, so they're attacked by soldiers who are wearing Princess Sura's colors, which <gasps> betrayal. Um, but she ghosts a fae she like gets real mad and pulls his essence out of his body and calls her she starts freaking out about being a soul sucker but after doing that her wing her feathers she has a couple that turn white Mm -hmm. and i cannot remember the reasoning for this i am assuming it will come back in book three um reasoning and it's fun and awesome and i like it okay to meet some more characters because of it oh great well book three then um so there's that she feels really bad about killing people she does well because bellerin shows up or or not a well bellerin shows up and is like hey just so you know because you're gone a whole bunch of people are dying yeah because of you and now she actually like soul sucked someone yeah she soul sucked someone she shot someone in the throat which I feel like is a pretty normal reaction, like the guilt that you would have or should have in killing another person. Mm-hmm. Um, so Silred is really sweet to her when this happens to Ronak as well. They both say, you know, you protected your coven. Coven. Covey. Covey? Covey. That's it. Covey. You protected your covey. Your coven. <laughs> and yeah. then at the end, she decides to go find Okot because he's still missing. And she gets yanked back to the veil. Back to the veil. What terrible timing! <laughs> oh, yep, yep. So they take her to back to. Cu- she calls it Cupidville. Yeah. Every time I read this series, like I always just want to binge read it. It was so hard for me not to like. It was hard for me to stop. Mm-hmm. And be like, nope, I have to talk about this next week, so I have to wait to read it. I'm like, I don't want to read it, but it has to be fresh on my mind, or else. Yeah forget what to talk about yeah do you have any quotes i highlighted something i thought was funny let me find it um okot says as much as i love watching you threaten to stab a man in the eye now is not the time and her response is it was just going to be a little stab (laughs) yeah i mean i have another quote um that okot says that i he just just really cute so he says she's um, she calls him the sweetest and he says, Lamassus are not sweet. Lamassus are proud, are a proud, fierce race that protect and adore our mates with unending loyalty. 
It's like, okay, but you are really sweet though. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.